Hi everyone. In this special bonus episode today, I want to introduce you to the Gospel of Luke because in the next few weeks, we're going to be spending quite a bit of time in the Gospel of Luke. And it's always really helpful to get a bit of background information about who the author is and what his intention is and the kind of things that he focuses on when he's writing his gospel, because all four gospels sort of do things a little bit differently, even though they're all telling basically the same story. So when do we hear from the gospel of Luke? Well, it's read on weekdays, semi-continuously, which means basically from front to back, although with some gaps every now and then, in the latter part of every year. So in the weekday cycle, you would hear this from week 22 of ordinary time, until week 34 of ordinary time. So roughly three months um, in the sort of second half of the year. So usually August until November. If you go to a weekday mass, you'll hear from the Gospel of Luke. So chapters one to three of Luke are read in the Advent and Christmas season. They're all about the birth of Christ and the birth of John the Baptist. So there's a lot of that in chapters uh, one to three around Advent and Christmas. And then chapter four is where ordinary time readings start. So on week 22 Monday, it starts at Luke chapter 4, and that's usually around August 30th, although that does change every year depending on the calendar. So in ordinary time, it goes from chapter 4 right through until chapter 21, which finishes at the end of week 34 of ordinary time. So usually around November 30th is when this um, weekday exploration of Luke finishes, and that takes you right up till the start of Advent, basically. What about Sundays? Well, most of you will probably know that Luke is read on Sundays in year C. So every third year in the Catholic Church is year C. And on Sundays in that year, you'll hear a lot of the Gospel of Luke. So if you just go to Mass on Sundays in year C, you would hear about 56% of the Gospel of Luke. So about half of it you will get to hear on year C. There's various other parts of the Gospel which are read during Lent and feast days as well. Altogether, if you went to Mass every single day uh, in Year C, so weekdays and weekends, you would get to hear 88% of the Gospel of Luke, which is pretty good considering that it's the biggest Gospel out of all four. So who's the author of the Gospel of Luke? It appears that it was written by a Gentile, although that is disputed. It does seem to have some Gentile concerns in there. The author seems to highlight the events in Jesus' life and teachings that would appeal to all people, not just the Jews. That really does come through pretty strongly. Whereas if you take Matthew, for example, Matthew appears to be writing basically for Jews. Luke, or the author of Luke, is writing for everyone. And so he's sort of highlighting Jesus as a man, the superior man that all people can recognize. Now, the early church was unanimous that the author of this gospel was Luke. That was not disputed for hundreds and hundreds of years. It was pretty clear from early church testimony and the documents themselves. They were all pointing towards this guy called Luke, who we know is a medical doctor and he's a companion of Paul. So that was uncontested for a long time. Occasionally, you'll hear some scholars today disputing that, but there's no real solid reason to say it wasn't Luke, unless we sort of have some biases against uh, the Christian era. So who's Luke? Well, in the Bible himself, Luke is mentioned by name in three places, not in the Gospels, because he apparently wasn't uh, a disciple, perhaps, during the time of Jesus himself, but he is mentioned in the book of Acts. So by the time Acts comes around, this guy Luke has become a Christian. So he's mentioned in Colossians 4, verse 14, 
where Paul says that Luke, the beloved physician, greets you. So he was known as the beloved physician. 2 Timothy 4 verse 11, Paul writes, Luke is alone with me. And then Philemon verses 23 and 24, Paul again writes, Luke sends greetings to you. So it's pretty clear that Luke was a companion of Paul. Now, in addition, there's several places in the book of Acts, which apparently Luke wrote, where the word we is used. The author of the book of Acts says the word we. And if that's Luke, that means that Luke was present for some of these events in the book of Acts, which certainly makes sense because he was a companion of Paul. So if we say that Luke was a friend and a companion of Paul who came with him on many of his trips, we can say even more than that, I think. It looks like Paul... And Luke were very close, actually. Luke was one of his most faithful companions. Now, on top of that, we know that when Paul wrote his letters, he usually used a scribe of some sort to do the writing for him. Some have suggested that Luke might have been one of his scribes, particularly for First and Second Timothy, which were written towards the end of Paul's life. And remember, in Second Timothy chapter 4, Paul says, Luke is alone with me. So there is some indication that Luke may have been a scribe, at least at some points um, for Paul. The reference to him being a beloved physician tells us that Luke's day job is a medical practitioner. And so for that reason, he's often considered to be a patron saint of various medical organizations. We don't know a whole lot about his medical work because he doesn't talk about himself in his gospel. Um, But apparently that's what he did. He was a doctor. It's normally thought that Luke was a Gentile, so a non-Jew, but that is disputed. The majority of the evidence would suggest that he probably is a Gentile because he's mentioned separately. Um, There's a passage in Colossians 4 where Luke is mentioned separately from this other group of people called those of the circumcision. Now, even that can be interpreted different ways. That's not a definite proof that Luke is not Jewish. Um, But most scholars through the centuries have suggested that he probably was Gentile. If that's the case, that would make him the only Gentile author of the New Testament, which is interesting. Now, if he was a Jew, which a lot of modern scholars are starting to think he might have been a Jew because he knows the Old Testament very well, certainly he's a Hellenistic Jew who's got a very good understanding of Greek and a very good understanding of Gentile ways. Luke wrote more of the New Testament than any other author, which is really surprising because often we think that Paul wrote the majority of the New Testament, but actually, by word count, Luke wrote the most. Luke has the longest gospel, and then if you add together Luke and Acts, because Luke did the book of Acts as well, it's 38,000 words long, so that's 24% of the New Testament. So we owe a lot of the New Testament to Luke, a whole quarter of it, in fact, What about the date? When was the Gospel of Luke written? Well, Luke wrote two books. He wrote the Gospel of Luke and then the Book of Acts. It's almost unanimously agreed that he wrote Acts after the Gospel of Luke. So an approach that a lot of scholars have taken recently to work out the date is if we can work out the date when he wrote Acts, then we can work backwards and say that he must have written Luke before then. And here's how a lot of modern scholars have have worked it out. The book of Acts, if you look at it, has quite an abrupt ending. It narrates Paul's voyage to Rome, which takes about seven chapters. And then it talks about what happens on the trip to Rome. And then it talks about Paul arriving in Rome and then awaiting his trial. But it doesn't resolve the situation. It doesn't narrate what happens in that particular trial, even though it does narrate some of his earlier trials. 
So Paul is dragged before Nero shortly after this, and it will be very surprising that Luke does not include what happens at this particular trial. So a lot of scholars have said that, well, if Luke knew the outcome of this trial, it doesn't make sense for him not to include it in his book. He wouldn't, there's no reason why he'd cut off the narrative of the book of Acts at that point, because he's been building towards it for eight chapters, basically, and then it just sort of stops abruptly with Paul in prison. And we know that after this, we know from history now, that Paul was actually released after this trial. Nero did not kill him at that point. So Paul actually went on to do further ministry, and some of that further ministry was with Luke. So Luke certainly did know, eventually, uh, what happened to Paul, but he doesn't include it in the book of Acts. So that would suggest that he's writing the book of Acts at a time while he doesn't yet know the outcome of the trial, because the trial has not happened at the time he's writing. So Luke doesn't include anything in the book of Acts about what happens in the late AD 60s, like the death of Peter and Paul. They're not recorded. So this strongly suggests that when Luke wrote Acts, Paul's trial hadn't happened yet. Nothing in the late AD 60s had happened yet. And if we can pinpoint the date that Paul was in prison, and most scholars would say that was around AD 60, that would mean that Acts was written pretty much in AD 60, or perhaps a year before or after that. So it's quite an early date of the book of Acts. Now, if that's correct, and then Luke had to have been written before the book of Acts, that means Luke was written before AD 60. A careful study of the Gospel of Luke suggests that it wasn't particularly long between the writing of of the Gospel of Luke and the writing of the book of Acts. And we see that particularly because many of the elements in the last chapter of the Gospel of Luke are very similar to elements in the early chapters of Acts. So it seems like when Luke is writing the Gospel of Luke, he's already planning his sequel. He's already setting setting it up. So there's probably not a very big gap between Luke and Acts. So if we're going to pinpoint a date for the Gospel of Luke, we can't get an exact year, but our best guess would be somewhere in the range of AD 59. That's when Luke finished the Gospel of Luke, which is very early, and it's a lot earlier than a lot of the dates you'll hear some progressive critical scholars give to it. So if we say Luke finished it in AD 59, then he probably used the two-year period of Paul's house arrest to finish gathering more materials um, for the book of Acts in particular, and he might have interviewed Peter during this period as well. So who's Luke writing to? Luke and Acts are both dedicated to this same person. At the start of the book of Luke, Uh, Luke actually mentions one particular person that he's writing for, and that is this guy called Theophilus. So Theophilus appears to be a Roman official, and many scholars have suggested that he's probably the benefactor who donated money to make the writing of Luke's works possible. So that's why Luke says he's dedicating the work to Theophilus, because Theophilus is the one who provided the money to make it possible, because it was quite expensive um, to write manuscripts and distribute them in those days. So if that's, if that's correct, then Luke might have intended his gospel to be circul- circulated quite widely thanks to the support of Theophilus. Now, although we don't know exactly where Luke wrote from, there's lots of different suggestions about the location, it seems that his audience is probably Gentile Christians throughout the Mediterranean world, as well as some Jews in the in Mediterranean world as well, but certainly to this Hellenistic area of the world, not just to... Uh, to Jews in Israel. He's certainly writing it for a wider audience than just people who live in Israel. 
We know that because he often replaces Jewish words with their Greek equivalents, because he wants to make his text more readable for those who don't know Aramaic. And that would make sense if he's writing to people who live outside of Israel. There's also a lot of echoes of the Old Testament in Luke. Although Luke doesn't do a whole lot of explicit quotes from the Old Testament, he sort of weaves themes, and in fact events from the Old Testament, into his writing in a really interesting way, which seems to suggest that he expects his readers to have familiarity with the Old Testament. What's Luke's purpose? Why is he writing? Well, if you look in the very first chapter of the Gospel of Luke, Luke tells us, in fact, he's probably the only one that gives us explicit information about how he wrote his gospel and what the point of him writing the gospel was. He says at the start of his gospel that he consulted both written sources and eyewitnesses. He mentions both of those. So Luke, when he sits down to write his gospel, consults both written and eyewitness sources. Written sources, possibly he had access to Matthew or Mark, depending on the dates that those were written as well. And with the eyewitnesses, he probably had access to Mary, he he almost certainly had access to Mary, as well as Peter and Paul. So he spoke to the hard hitters when he's writing his gospel. He's really done his research in getting the most sources possible when he starts to sit down to write his gospel. Luke's gospel is often considered to be the most logical and chronological gospel. Whereas if you look at Matthew, for example, Matthew is clearly not trying to be chronological a lot of the time. He's trying to be thematic. And although that Luke does arrange things thematically sometimes, most of the time he's going for pretty much a chronological order. He actually says in chapter 1, verse 3, that he's trying to write an orderly account. That's the word that Luke himself uses. He's sitting down to write an orderly account of Jesus' life from his birth to his ascension. And so Luke includes a sweeping amount of Jesus' life. It's his birth, his childhood, um, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. All of that gets included in Luke. So in that sense, a lot of scholars have pointed out that although all of the Gospels roughly conform to this genre that we call ancient biography, all of them are that, Luke best corresponds to that Um, genre for a couple of reasons. The length of Luke's book is pretty similar to other ancient biographies from that time period. And there's also some other interesting things. Um, For example, Luke includes a childhood incident from Jesus' life. And often in ancient biographies, they would go out of their way to include one childhood incident um, from the person's life. So Luke really does seem to be matching pretty well with this theme of uh, an ancient biography which is all about trying to show the audience the character traits of a certain historical individual, and it follows a roughly chronological order. What are the things that we should look for in Luke's Gospel? Well, most of Luke's Gospel is dedicated to Jesus' public life, and there's a particular emphasis on his deeds and his parables. Whereas Matthew has emphasis on Jesus' long speeches, Luke doesn't double up on that. He has a focus more on shorter sections of text, particularly Jesus' deeds and some parables. Now, there's certain things that only Luke includes. And so here's a list of things that you'll only find in Luke. And imagine if Luke didn't include these things, we would have never heard them. So the infancy narratives, most of what we know about Mary getting pregnant and the birth in Bethlehem and the birth of John the Baptist and the shepherds, all of that is only included in Luke. The finding of Jesus in the temple when he's a boy, that's only in Luke. 
Jesus' own mission summary in Nazareth, when he gets up in Nazareth, reads the scroll and says, this day the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, that extended discourse, and it, where it tells us exactly what Jesus uh, read out in his very first sermon at Nazareth, when they try to kill him, uh, that's only included in Luke. The parable of the Good Samaritan, probably the most famous parable, only in Luke. The parable of the prodigal son, probably the second most famous parable, only in Luke. The parable of Lazarus and the rich man, which is where we get most of our information about the afterlife, uh, that is only in Luke. The parable of the persistent widow and the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, they are only in Luke. Also, the story of Zacchaeus is only in Luke. Jesus, when we have Jesus' trials, the only one who mentions Jesus before Herod Antipas, the king, uh, the so-called king of the Jews, Luke is the only gospel author to mention, Jesus' trial before Herod. And also the specific details of his ascension, only Luke includes that information. So there's a whole lot about Jesus. Um, you know, imagine if we didn't have the Good Samaritan and the Prodigal Son. Um, there would be a whole lot less to talk about, particularly when you're teaching, for example, primary school students about Jesus. Um, those are the parables that we often tap into. Luke also includes quite a few hymns. So Mary's Magnificat is um, in Luke, and then Zechariah's Benedictus, Simeon's Song as well, and the Angel's Gloria. They're all in the early chapters of Luke, and they became quite famous hymns in the early church. The book is written in quite polished Greek. In fact, Luke appears to be very good at Greek. He switches between classical Greek and sort of um, the Greek used from the Septuagint quite a bit. And so he's very good at writing and he uses quite complex constructions in his sentences and he has a very wide vocabulary. So this is a very smart guy. Luke also appears to be a meticulous historian. He includes lots of dates, lots of places and lots of people. In the early chapters of Luke, Luke really nails down the exact dates when certain things happened. And so a lot of scholars today have looked into the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts and they all check out. Luke is a very, very precise historian. You've probably heard that Sir William Ramsey, who went on to become a Bible scholar, originally he was a skeptical scholar who didn't believe that the Gospels were accurate, and he decided to do a study of Luke and the book of Acts to see if they're historical. And at the end of his study, he said this. He said, Luke is a historian of the highest rank. You may press the words of Luke in a degree beyond any other historian. So Luke is very precise, very careful about ensuring he gets his dates and his places correct. So for this reason and for many other reasons, um, many have called this an artistic and spiritual masterpiece, the Gospel of Luke. Some people like to start with the Gospel of Luke. Um, someone who's new to Christianity, it's sometimes a good place to start because it hasn't got those long, complex sermons like Matthew and the in-depth um, theology of the Gospel of John, perhaps. But there's good reasons to start with any of the four Gospels, of course. What themes do we see in the Gospel of Luke? What does he emphasize? The primary theme in the Gospel of Luke is the universal message of salvation. Luke is constantly reminding his readers that Christ has come to gather all people and all nations into the family of God, Jews and Gentiles. Sometimes he also focuses on the Jewish aspects of things as well. So he depicts Jesus as the royal Messiah and when he does that, he's usually talking about it in terms of the Messiah's role 
in returning the scattered people together. So he talks about how Jesus as the Messiah has come to restore the scattered tribes by gathering them together into his kingdom. And that would include things like the Samaritans. So Luke has quite a positive view of the Samaritans because he sees them as lost Israelites who Jesus has come to save, which is certainly true. Luke also emphasizes salvation of the lowly. So Luke includes a lot of episodes where Jesus is bringing the kingdom to outcasts, the poor, uh, and those of disrepute in society as well. So there's also a significant emphasis on women in the gospel, despite there being they had quite a low status in society. So there's about 10 women who get mentioned specifically and discussed in the gospel. So Mary, Elizabeth, Anna, the widow of Nain, the sinful woman, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Susanna, Mary, and Martha of Bethany, and the woman with a spirit of infirmity. All of those are mentioned in the Gospel of Luke, and all of them are discussed to an extent. So Luke has a particular interest in showing that Jesus has come uh, for women as well. Other things you'll often see emphasized are the Holy Spirit. That gets mentioned a few times, as well as prayer. Jesus is often shown praying in the Gospel of Luke. Luke also seems to be concerned with showing his readers that Jesus is Israel's Lord and God. So Jesus is God. And the way he does that is by the way he uses the Greek word Kyrios. So he'll use the word Kyrios in reference to God the Father. But then he'll also, a couple of verses later, use that same Greek word to describe Jesus. So it seems that that is Luke's strategy for getting his audience to realize that Jesus is God. So all of those things um, are things to look out for in the Gospel of Luke, and it's quite an amazing Gospel. It's the longest, and um, it includes a whole lot of sources and includes a whole lot of different points in Jesus' life. So hopefully you enjoy exploring this Gospel. I think the best resource to use um, that I have come across, if you want to dive into the Gospel a bit more, is the Catholic Commentary on Sacred Scripture, and the edition for the Gospel of Luke was written by Pablo Gaydens, and you can get that on Amazon. I've included a link to that in the show notes as well if you want to get a look at that commentary. And that is one which is very faithful to the teaching of the church as well. So hopefully that gives you a bit more information about Luke as we dive into it into in the coming weeks and months. And as I said at the start, our study of the Gospel of Luke in the weekdays will take us right up until Advent. Hopefully you enjoy it.